Hello, friend. Welcome to episode 16 of Sally's Performing Arts Lab podcast. I'm your host, Sally Adams, and I've taught people how to produce original work for the stage for over 30 years. If you're not yet a Performing Arts Lab subscriber, find a platform and subscribe to Sally Pal. You'll find me on Acast, Blueberry, Google Play, iTunes, Overcast, Player FM, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn, and of course, my host platform, Podbean, where the podcast will be a featured show the week of November 27th. I'm also excited to tell you that with your help, Sally Pal is in the top performing arts podcasts on Player FM this week. Thanks to everyone sharing the blog and the podcast. If you sign up for the mailing list, you'll get a free insert for your creator's notebook. It's a list of people you'll need to help you produce your show along with some great links to more in-depth information. Today's episode features the coolest guy on the planet, my husband, George Nelson. Today we talk about getting performing arts experience at the local level. We mentioned Hank the Cowdog, Heller Theater, and Community Theater in general. I'll be sure and include some links in the blog and show notes if you want to dive a little deeper. Be sure to listen until the end of the interview for concise advice from the interview and words of wisdom from George. Let's get started. Every day I gotta stop for a minute Think about how good my life is with you in it Every day I wanna stop and think about you Thank you for joining me today. I'm happy to be here. This is George Nelson, the coolest guy on the planet. He also happens to be my husband. And we met, strangely enough, in, in theater. The theater. George did not have theater experience for most of his life. You were an audience member. Well, I uh, wasn't even that. I was nearing 50, if not already there, when I was invited to attend some community theater at Heller Theater in Tulsa. And I went to see a play, and then I went to see another play. And I left on both occasions thinking, I can do that. <laughs> I can do that. That looks simple enough. <laughs> and as it so happened, I was at the theater on a errand, and there was an audition going on. And so uh, someone said, well, please, well, since you're here, just step right in there and audition. And so I did, and I got a part. And that was the first play I had ever been in. Did you have any idea when you auditioned that you were auditioning for a long-term commitment? Oh, no. I didn't think even <laughs> that there would be the likelihood of I would get a part in a play. I had no experience on stage whatsoever. And the audition called for me to read a part of a husband who was angry with his wife. And so, I don't know where I drew this from. You're not an angry guy. I'm not an angry person by nature. But anyway, <laughs> I remember I read the part and I threw some props across the room. And the director said that was exactly what she wanted and I got a part. What caused you to think it would be okay to take an item and throw it across the room. Because she told me that the character that I was reading was angry. And that's how you decided that would look. I decided that angry people throw things. <laughs> Is that from any kind of experience? Not personal, no. But, it, you know, it was what I threw was a metal ashtray. And it sailed across the room and hit a wall and knocked a small hole in the wall. <gasps> 
which was there for years afterwards. I always went by that little spot and kind of took note of it. Now, you and the director became very good friends after that. Absolutely, as time went on. I remember that in that very first play I was in, that she continued to criticize my acting as I was acting in my head. Did you have any idea what that meant? I did not. I'd, well, what does that mean to you now? Well, to now it means that you are thinking about everything you're doing and plotting and planning the way you behave intellectually on stage. What's the other option? The other option is to be out there and to try to feel like a real human being might actually behave and act from the heart, I think. You're not sure still? I'm still not sure. Let me hurry to say, I have received no formal training in the acting arts, with an exception that I went to some classes at Heller Theater. Oh, I must tell you that when I began this process, I was at that time a trial attorney. And my experience in the courtroom was an experience of someone who prepared worked very hard at being prepared and knowing the things you needed to know before you stepped into the courtroom. I remember very clearly these classes I went to. We were given assignments. Read this material on Stanislavski, I believe, and come prepared. And as I returned to the class, there were people in the class who, when called upon, would say, I didn't do the homework. I'm not prepared. I'm undergoing some personal issues in my life. And what I was thinking was, what is wrong with you? You, <laughs> you do not take this seriously. Yeah. How can you come to class and not have read the material and tell me you have a personal problem? Well, it was uh, yeah. a community theater class. And much to my surprise, the person teaching the class said, that's all right. We understand. Take all the time you need. Deal with your issues, and we'll take this up at a later time. And I thought, well, this is no way to run anything. <laughs> you, you have to be hard on these people and make them do what they're supposed to do. And I learned through many years subsequently that the world of theater and the people who inhabit it are different than my experience with attorneys and judges. They live more from the heart and less from the head. In the theater, how you feel about things is more important than what you think about things. Do you think that the stuff you struggle with now on stage is different from what you struggled with when you started? Oh, yes. You are an amazing actor. Lots of directors love to cast you. So how did you get there? How did you get to that place where people call you and say, can you do a part rather than having to fight in an audition for a role? Well, when I started, I struggled with knowing my lines, knowing my cues, knowing my blocking, knowing my entrances and exits, and just the basic stuff of where to go and whether to look to the left or look to the right. I, I remember another incident. I played a, a small part in Glengarry Glen Ross, and I remember having a question, and I approached the director, and I said, I have a question about what my character needs to do at this time. And so the director launched into a long discussion of what my relationship with the other character to whom I was speaking should be, and that it should be one almost of awe, perhaps even approaching love. And that should be the way I need to be thinking about this exchange. To which I responded, I'm sorry, 
I just wanted to know if you wanted me to turn a little more to the left. <laughs> and that's where I was in my acting. Is I can see now, after having done community theater for 20 years, that his advice was very good. And if I had known how to take it and apply it, I would have been better in the part. But I didn't. I wasn't at that time prepared to do those things. I remember something I read, I think it was in the Stanislavski book that has stuck with me perhaps longer than anything. The statement was, you cannot act and be a gentleman. And giving up being a gentleman meant giving up being in control. The face you presented was a face that you had constructed for presentation to the rest of the world. You had to give that up and be someone else I remember another incident early when I first was cast in the very first play. When it was advertised that I was in the cast, I was interviewed by the newspaper because local attorney sure. in community theater made a story for the local paper. And I remember explaining to them that theater was theater and my courtroom behavior and presentation and the business of trying a case was not theater. That was the law. After I had been in community theater longer, it became very clear to me that the courtroom was theater. It was, I think, the realization that I had been on the stage for 20 years before I ever stepped on a community theater stage that finally gave me, I think, the permission to let my guard down a little bit. That is what I had to do to be a better actor. I think that's probably why people say courtroom lawyers are frustrated actors. Perhaps so. I think everyone who is brave enough to step into a courtroom and try a case is always anxious to get into the spotlight. Yeah. You have an ego that calls for that. Yeah, interesting. How can you encourage people who have no theater experience whatsoever to take the risk? Well, I think the thing is, if you want to be on the stage and you live in a community large enough that there's a community theater that's accessible to you, then you should take a look at it. If you've already looked at it and are familiar with what they do there, then you should audition. There is a safety net in community theater that if you're not good, <laughs> then you won't get cast. Or you won't get cast in a really big role. Or you won't, yes. Because it's not necessarily <laughs> true that you see no well, bad actors in community theater. <laughs> True. Uh, yeah, and I don't want to say anything to discourage anyone by saying, you know, you can't be bad enough. There are parts that do not call for great acting experience. In fact, after my first play, the bug bit me and I wanted to get involved in something else immediately. And of course, being a brand new right out of the box in community theater, I was not high on anyone's list to cast. I remember being in uh, one production where I played the wolf in Red Riding Hood and wore a, a rubber mask over my head and rubber gloves and rubber feet. But I was being in theater. It was what I wanted to do. I found a comfort zone with comedy. And so maybe that's the encouragement that I can give is that there is in community theater a fit for everybody. I was in an opera. I can't sing, but I was in an opera. I was a guy who stood on stage and held a spear. I think those are referred to as spear carriers. 
And I was. <laughs> and I did it because I wanted to be involved in that world. And I was backstage, and I had to put on makeup and put on the gluing a beard to my chin and putting on a costume of a Spanish soldier. And I loved it, even though I didn't speak a word or do anything except stand. stand and hold your spear. That's right. And, and make an exit when called. <laughs> and you're a big guy, so. so they probably were happy to have you. You're six foot four inch Spanish spear carrier. <clears throat> Once you get past, oh my God, what's my next line? Should I be thinking about that at all right now? I think the thing that is important finally to learn is to learn to listen, to be on stage and to listen to what other people are saying and watch what they're doing. And if you can do that, you can get in the moment. And if you've learned your lines, the assumption is before the curtain goes up on opening night that you have, Step one. Then you will hear your cue, and you will say your line, and you will eventually gain the confidence in yourself to be able to listen on stage to what other people are saying and doing so that you can respond to those things like a real human being and not like an actor on stage. How many shows do you guess you've done? Dozens. Probably 30 or 40. Oh, I would think more than that. Maybe. Uh, I don't. If you include the readings and... Oh, yeah. I have what I call a, a me box. <laughs> Your me box. We could probably go through there and count all of right. them. Right. Uh, where I've kept all my scripts and all of the posters and all of the articles about community theater that I've been involved in over the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a big box. I, I got in, I think, like three Irish plays in a row because I loved the dialect and I loved learning and, and doing the dialect on stage. The Weir, I think, may have been one of them that really made a difference because I played a, a person who was my actual age. I didn't have to pretend to be either younger or older and who was lonely. And I think I was going through something in my own personal life at the time that made me have those feelings that were honest. And I think for the first time when that happened, it was maybe an aha moment that you can be honest and not just be technically correct on stage. And it feels pretty good. And another one that was connected for me was the Harry and Sam Dialogues. That's a show that I directed with you and your best friend, Tony who's since passed away. Right. Which is hard to talk about because my relationship with Tony Batchelder was uh, <clears throat> was the same relationship as the two, as, as with the character on stage that he played. And uh, it was uh, a good fit for me, another good fit. There was very little directing involved in that for me. The two of you were so natural and you took dialogue, and I, I guessed from time to time that you'd gone off script, thinking you can't possibly be speaking the lines in the script because it sounds too much like you're in a conversation in the moment, when in fact, you were always in the script. Let me hurry to say that uh, the, the plays that I've felt the best about, uh, you were the director on <laughs> Mockingbird and Harry and Sam Dialogues, and the comedy that I relished so much, the uh, complete works of William Shakespeare, Bridge. Some directors were able to connect better with me than others. Julie Tattershall, my first director, and Frank Gallagher, and others, I don't want to try to list everybody. People who got on to me for not being my best were always the people that I think I did the best for. 
You come from a background where you have been expected to push yourself. You're an attorney who used to be with the district attorney's office. You've been a Green Beret. You've been a teacher. You've been a graduate student. Everything you've done has been like you've been challenging yourself. So now this is a new challenge. It was at the time. I, I am not active in community theater now. I got to an age where the challenges of the memorization became so consuming of my time. When I first started, I could read a script over two or three times and be ready to begin rehearsal without a script. After 20 years of doing community theater, I was on stage with the script in my back pocket, hoping to have a moment off stage to look at the lines again before I had to go back out. But don't you think it's interesting that at the moment when you feel like you finally got a handle on what it means to act, to perform, to get naked in front of an audience emotionally, is the moment when the little thing, the thing you do first, the memorization of your lines, becomes an issue? Well, it was for me. Not everyone gets to that place. I mean, there are, I'm sure, many older actors on stage today, older than me, that are doing just fine with that. I do remember something Ken Spence uh, said at one time. He said that I was getting to be the age where I could finally play the really good parts in theater. <laughs> And I'm sure he was thinking, of course, about Shakespeare primarily. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the, the characters like Willie Loman. Sure. When you are finally at the age where you don't have to put any white makeup on your hair to look that age, hopefully you're still fit for the stage. And we've been talking about acting this whole time. But beyond acting, in the show in general, I'm always encouraging people to take their original work and take a chance and put it out there on the stage. And community theater is a fantastic training ground. Community theater is where I learned to be a director. I was a stage manager. I've been a costumer for decades. I learned improv in the community theater. There's so many things that I've done. And you've done things. You've been a director. You decided after that you didn't want to be a director. Well, the director was, <laughs> the director was fun, but I did it once and decided that it was more work than acting. So I went back to the other. <laughs> it's more busy work than acting. <laughs> yeah, you had to pay attention all the time. It wasn't a time when you were off stage and you could just sit around and and uh, read a book. I've done improv, which I've always loved and has a special place in my heart. I will say that I always enjoyed being involved in an original work. And one of the reasons was the selfish reason that unlike when you might be cast in a Shakespeare or in something that has been on stage often and been successful often and has been seen by many people, the original work, if you get out there and drop a line, no one ever knows. Oh, now I thought you were going to say something really profound, like <laughs> you get to create the character. The well, you know. perhaps you do. It is a character that nobody else has created before you, and so you're breaking the ground there for it, of course. But it's kind of, there's a freedom. It's like you're out there doing something and nobody is saying, I've seen it done better. And you've been in some shows that people have had some familiarity with. You've been in Glengarry Glen Ross. You've been in Ghosts. I was in Good Woman in Szechuan. So you've been in some classic plays. You've been in Coriolanus. But you've also been in original works, the one where you played uh, Pastor Bob, the first show where you were ever asked to sing. Right. I got to sing some cowboy songs. Yep. You've been in Hank the Cowdog. And got to sing some cowboy songs. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think you should be cast as a cowboy singer again. <laughs> Maybe so. You learned to play the guitar for one of those. I learned to hold the guitar and appear as if I was playing. Yes. <laughs> what have you had to learn? Have you had to learn to do anything? Well, dialect, I think, is the first thing that comes to mind. And I loved the dialect that was called for in the plays I've been in. And it's mainly Irish. A lot of great Irish plays out there. And the dialect is a fun one to know. I learned, however, that in normal conversation and dealing with people in the world, that they get very tired of your dialect after a while. What? Yes, it's true. That's crazy talk. <laughs> you cannot just go to the bar and hang out with your friends. <laughs> well, and you can. <laughs> talk like you're Irish all night without everybody just telling you. Enough, please. We're, Rolling their eyes. we're begging you to stop. <laughs> oh no, do that Irish accent again. We love it so. <laughs> I don't think I can. I've forgotten it all. And you and I have gotten the chance to do some original works on stage together. We never acted together until my kids started writing plays. Right, and the original works that they wrote, they wrote characters that again were a fit for me mm -hmm. and it didn't make me look too bad you know when i think about a state sale or on track any of the things that we've done really with emily and will regardless it's always fun it's like family time well in the community theater world the opportunity to be there for someone who wants to put on a play it is very makes you feel like you're really doing something special. It's not just, you know, saying hello and tipping your hat, but you're really putting yourself and your time. There's a lot of time involved when you make a commitment to a play. And when you make that commitment for someone who's trying to put together something that's their brainchild, the child of their heart, it's good to be able to be there for them. Yeah, it is. It's a great experience, isn't it? It is. But it does help having the background that you've gained getting the training, you're concerned that your training isn't a degree in theater. Right. Any opinions that I have are totally unfounded in any formal education in theater. I'm just speaking from the heart, I think. You're a journeyman actor. I'm a journeyman. And a darn good one. The doors are open, I think. If you're willing to step out, there's a place. And even if you are uncomfortable with the idea of working on stage as an actor or directing or even stage managing, there are places backstage for people who just want to get their feet wet and see what the whole thing is all about. We have a gal we call the cookie lady because she brings cookies. It's great. And she's very much a part of the group. Well, I encourage anyone who would like to make cookies for, for a community theater for group. Community they will theater. be so welcome. <laughs> Step right up. You will be loved more than you can possibly imagine. That is so true. We love Becky so much. But there's a lot more to Becky than just cookies. But man, can she make some killer cookies. Can you think of anything else? My brain is empty. Do you see plays differently now when you go to watch a play? I do. It's not a good thing. I remember I had a good friend growing up, uh, a high school friend, who played two or three different musical instruments, very accomplished. And he said he couldn't listen to amateur music comfortably because he was only being critical of it. He was only finding the flaws and the faults. Mm. I didn't understand that because I wasn't a musician myself and I enjoyed, any, I enjoyed music. It didn't have to be good for me to enjoy it. But then that happened, I think, with theater. I have a hard time watching a movie or a program on television. And when I see the actors on that stage, my thought is, 
I have been in community theater with better actors than you. How in the world did you get this part? There's a range of abilities out there. When I'm a spectator, I'm not a good one, I'm afraid. I don't like to see someone doing less than what I perceive is called for by a part. And, you know, we had that conversation many times about the talent in lo on local stages. It is extremely high. It is amazing to me. And I'm sure it's a matter of uh, people have decided that they would rather be something else in life than an actor, but they're still very good on stage. How that person didn't end up in New York City on stage, Broadway yeah. stage is just a matter of making a choice, not because they didn't have the talent. There's a lot of talent out there. Oh, yeah. For years, I sang in the opera chorus. Wonderful experience because we were working on a 50-foot proscenium stage with people that were flown in from Europe. But all of the chorus was local, all local people, all with big, beautiful operatic voices singing in a chorus. And there were probably 50 of us on stage at a time. And Ed Purrington was the guy who ran the opera, Tulsa Opera, and he went on to the National Opera in D.C. I had done operas before. There's still magic after you have seen the backstage. And I was in the chorus facing the audience at the end of the opera of Romeo et Juliette. And there are the two families, the Montagues and the Capulets, coming toward each other in the tomb. And the bodies of the young people are lying out there on the slab. And Spoiler alert. <laughs> probably shouldn't have revealed that part. So we're in the chorus and we're singing and we're staged behind a scrim. The scrim is a very thin bit of material between the audience and, in this case, I think it was just the chorus. Everybody else was in front of the scrim. And the lights are coming up very slowly behind us, so it almost appears as if we're... I'm, I can only assume this. I didn't see it. I was in the chorus, not the audience. But supposedly it looked as if we were ghosts coming out of the mist with the lighting. And I'm performing in chorus of a gazillion people with all this other stuff going on. Nobody in the audience is looking at me, I promise. And I'm looking at the two young people on stage, and I started crying. <laughs> and I realized at that moment that despite the fact that I was in an infinitesimally small role in a gigantic production, that I forgot everything. And I was in a small town in Italy at the funeral of these two young people. <laughs> And I knew if I felt that way after all the rehearsals, makeup and hair and costume, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to be in the audience at that moment. And I realized, oh, this is magic. The theater transports in a way that nothing else does. Thank you, babe. You're welcome. <laughs> it's time now for concise advice from the interview. A short version of tips from my guest, George Nelson. Get up, get up. Today I have seven bits of advice for people interested in performing arts training at the local level. Number seven, an actor cares more about how to feel about things than what to think about things. Number six, wherever you start is fine. Pay attention and you will learn and grow. Number five, you cannot act and be a gentleman. Number four, allow a story on stage to transport you. Number three, do what needs to be done to be prepared and then 
let go of it. Number two, there is a place for you no matter where you are in the range of abilities. And the number one piece of advice from George Nelson? Learn to listen on stage. Well, that's it for concise advice from the interview. Next week, I'll introduce another episode from the Creator's Notebook on staffing your production. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sally, and this is Sally Pal. The P-A-L in PAL stands for Performing Arts Lab. Hey, check out my blog, sallypal.com, for articles and podcast episodes and to sign up for a free Creator's Notebook insert. Thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing, subscribing, reviewing, and especially thank you for listening. I encourage you to pursue your dream to have your original work on the stage in front of a live audience. It's scary, but I'll be here with advice, encouragement, and a growing community of people like us. If you like Sally Pal, a new podcast goes out every Monday evening. Now, I have one bit of wisdom from George, my husband, the coolest guy on the planet. George, what's your wisdom for today? Vote your pocketbook. Well... Excellent advice indeed, George. Excellent advice indeed. <laughs> Remember, all the performances you've seen on stage once lived only in someone's imagination. Now it's your turn. Thank you again for listening. If you're downloading and listening on your drive to work or falling asleep to my lyrical laughter like my sister does, let me know you're out there. I want to help you learn to produce and direct original shows for a live audience. It's what I do, and you can too. mailing list, you'll get a free insert for your creator for your creator's notebook. It's a list of people you'll need to help you produce your show. God bless it. For the love of Mike, I can't get this line right. No matter how hard I try.